from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, but I'm coming to you live here without my co-host, Americus Reed, who is off doing something else. I don't know what he doesn't tell me, but he is not here today, unfortunately, so I'm going to try to run this show by myself without his wonderful co-hosting. So we'll see how that goes. But if you would like to ask me or any of my guests a question throughout today's show, since we are live, please feel free to call in at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866 if you're interested in asking a question or participating in our conversation. Our phone lines are open and we are taking your calls. So today we have a very interesting show. We have in our first half hour um, a person we've had before, a guest that we've had before, Daphne Howland, who's the senior reporter for Retail Dive. And she writes all the most interesting stories about retail. I read her all the time. I'm delighted that she's here. Hello, Daphne. Hello, Barbara. Delighted to be here. Thank you for the kind words. So we'll start with that, and we'll start in the first half with um, news stories of the week, and I'm also going to go over hit and miss, and we'll see what we think about that. And then in our second half, we in our spotlight segment, we have Jessica Loudermilk, who's the senior manager of Honda Marketing at America Honda Market Motor Company, and she's going to talk about some of the challenges that Honda has faced in challenging, A, to the young people, because you're always trying to bring young people on board to a new um, car brand, and some of the challenges they had during the pandemic and thinking about how car decisions are being made today as the world is changing and opening up to this new normal. So that'll be kind of interesting to hear the marketing strategies from Honda. But before we do go all over that, let's start out with our marketing hit and miss. Hit. Bullseye. Or miss. Just a bit outside. Uh, so as all of that stuff implies, what we do is we have a, a, a article, and I picked out one that I think is particularly interesting, a recent article, and then we discuss whether we think it's a hit or a miss from the marketing perspective. And so, Daphne, I'm curious to know your take on this. So there was a recent announcement by SoulCycle, which you probably know is a studio where people r ride together, um, and they didn't do that well during the pandemic because nobody was going to gyms. And I don't even know if people are still going back to gyms because it's still a little scary in, in the world of Omicron and COVID. But they definitely took a big hit. And interestingly, the um, company that benefited from SoulCycle's decline during the pandemic was Peloton. Well, now that people are kind of back to normal, the tables are turned, and Peloton's having trouble, and SoulCycle is trying to pick up and encourage people to come back into the gym. So the workout studio SoulCycle op made this offer, um, and they have a new campaign that they call Fuck It, Let's Ride Together. And what they're doing is offering to exchange used Peloton bikes for 47 free in-studio classes as part of its new Souls Reunited program. Um, and that's a new campaign that they're just um, 
that they're just going out. And it's a limited time off, no, limited time offer. It starts Wednesday, July 27, and it's available only to the first 100 eligible people who sign up. Uh, and you must own a fully paid Peloton bike, and you must live within 20 miles of one of their SoulCycle studios, and you can't have taken us so there's a lot of restrictions around it but if you're one of these people you get to bring in that old peloton bike you're not using anymore you're bored and you could get go to get to go to back in live um exercise classes so first of all i'm curious to know what you think about this as a marketing campaign and you know whether you think it's a good idea i mean it's got a couple little cute things that are maybe fun or maybe not like this idea of calling it fuck it let's ride together the idea of capitalizing on pelotons going down which has been a brand that's been in the news a lot they've made a lot of uh, missteps over the years so they're kind of capitalizing on that as a word of mouth strategy and then they're also acknowledging and i know you as a retailer reporter will be thinking about this a lot, you know, what's happening as we're moving from a COVID world of digital to this, the importance of in-store live get-togetherness. So with that as an introduction, what do you think? Is it a hit or miss or why? I think I have to go with hit. Um, both of these brands, SoulCycle and Peloton, as you say, in different worlds, one was at home, one was out in the world. Um, had sort of cult following, big, um, and and then both had sort of spectacular downfalls <laughs> yeah. for the opposite reasons. Um, I have to think a hundred there. I have to think that a hundred people might be ready to get rid of their pelotons on a good day, just because isn't that what you do? You buy a treadmill and then you eventually <laughs> desperately get rid of it. Yeah, after right. A while. Right. So it's a benefit just to have somebody take it from you, let alone offer something for it. And I get all these classes. Um, specifying Peloton, limiting it to, limiting it to 100, it, it feels like a, a nice buzz-worthy move. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with 100 Pelotons, but probably what they get out of it is going to be worth the campaign. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they're going to try to recycle them and do something hopefully smart with them. I don't think they're going to put them in their studios, but uh, but yeah, be interesting to see what they do. But I agree. It, you know, and the thing, it's it's buzzworthy. So it's as a campaign goes, it's got to, you're right, the exclusivity piece of it is part of it. You know, the jazzy title. and uh, But the other thing, as you mentioned, that's interesting is um, that they both have been brands that have cult-like status, that have been kind of big newsy items for one reason or another. So linking them together is kind of an interesting, you know, trading one off to another, I think, is interesting. So I, I also think it's a hit. I also think it's very interesting as to whether or not it's this trend of, you know, really going full cycle. During COVID, we saw this acceleration of digital. People knew it was going to come down a little. But this is suggesting you know, you're giving away your bike. You're really, I, I, I it's kind of pushing you to a hundred percent in gym. Whereas I kind of thought, and, and now I'm thinking about it more from the retail perspective, that people weren't going to go back to one or the other. You know, so like if if I were a Peloton user, I actually wouldn't like to give away my Peloton because I would like to keep that option, and then I would want to add kind of in our terminology, an omni-channel strategy so I can do some things at home for flexibility and go into the studio. And somewhat of the implication of this is, you know, we're going all the way back. And 
you know, forget about it. And you're not an expert on <laughs> spinning bikes, but, you know, in general, what do you think is the trend on this? You know, people are talking about it from work from home. People are not going to go back to the office 5-0. There's going to be a lingering attempt. What do you think about in com- consumer behavior in retail? Are we going back to pre-COVID numbers in physical retail? I think that there are a number of forces that are going to be keeping people away from any kind of shopping that's too inconvenient and probably things like grocery shopping. I I, I bet that as long as grocery stores keep offering delivery, that is going to be sticky. Um, But if a store is fun and you want to shop for fun, um, I, you know, it's really no fun shopping for, for, for dresses or apparel or shoes online. It's not fun. And it, you know, when you had to do it, it was even worse. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that maybe some stores people will will just as soon buy their shampoo online, but, um, it means that you need fun stores. It means you need a store that's worth going to. Um, but unless this pandemic gets to the point of uh, shutdown again, which I don't think it will, the only other thing, of course, right now is that people are kind of holding on to their money. Yeah, and you know, all of every single thing you just talked about relates to some of the stories you've been reporting on. So we might as well just go and because I can fill in the blanks as I hear you speak that you're speaking from specific things because you've been reporting on a lot of this. So, so you know, just to weigh in on that soul cycle thing, I agree with you. It's a hit. The only thing that I think is, you know, and it's limited to a hundred, so it doesn't really matter. But just personally, for me, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. Like if I I happen to have a Peloton, and even though I don't use it that much, um, I kind of like to have the option that if I don't feel like going into into class one day, I've got that thing to do, and they're still fun. So I think that people want to keep their flexibility. And, and they're kind of pushing the envelope a little bit in that campaign. And maybe it makes it more buzzy and more interesting because they're doing that. So... Uh, in general, a hit. But let's look at some of the, you've written some really interesting stories that are touching on all of these issues, as your comments revealed. So let's talk about one of them to do with the physical stores, which I think is really interesting, is the Amazon story you wrote. So let's start with that Amazon story. And, you know, as of course, you know, that the point of that story was as consumers are starting to return to stores, which is what SoulCycle was kind of implying too, Amazon is shutting their doors of some of their so they're shutting their bookstores, I think, and they're shutting their four-star stores. Uh, we could talk about those because I think those are different kind of stores. But they are keeping open, obviously, Whole Foods and their grocery store and their Amazon Go and their department store. So you want to c- talk a little bit about the background behind that and then we can talk about that because that's kind of an interesting thing here. We're talking about going back into physical stores and yet Amazon is closing some of theirs, and people pay attention to what Amazon does. Well, and so these these stores are all shut down. I got the confirmation from the from them last week. It was 66 stores in the U.S., two in the U.K. Um, the only stores really, except for the one apparel store that just opened that you mentioned, um, the only ones that weren't grocery or, or food-related, you know, convenience stores, grocery stores, um, and 
they just, you know, I don't, from what my sources tell me, <clears throat> these stores were just not merchandised the way a nice, good, attractive, compelling brick and mortar place needs to be if someone's going to walk through your doors and browse your wares. And I and, could not uh, agree you know, with that more. Let, let's look at the two kind. That, one was the four-star store. And for people who don't know that, there weren't that many of those. Those were kind of in your, it was a local store, I think, in your region, what people were buying the most of. And it was kind of a hodgepodge weird store of weird stuff that just people were buying in your area. And I couldn't, when I went into it, I couldn't imagine, you know, why you would go into that store. It didn't really even have a purpose. I think the merchandising was terrible. It, it because they it was so tech driven. It was literally the four stars or the five stars um, is what got you in onto those shelves. And so it was a lot of gifts. It was phone accessories. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it didn't really make uh, any sense. It didn't have good merchandising at all. And I, I'm surprised that lasted as long as it did. If it did, there weren't that many of them. The more interesting one is a bookstore, but I think, uh, so they did open a lot of bookstores. The bookstore was the first store they opened. And the, I always thought when I give a lot of lectures on Amazon and I always think, you know, that is so obnoxious because the first thing that Amazon sold online was books and the first chain they put out of business was Borders and they closed down all these physical bookstores. And then the first physical store they opened is a bookstore that almost seems like an obnoxious, you know, in your face kind of gesture. So I almost thought it was, you know, it didn't even make sense that that's going to be the store they opened. It wasn't really that thoughtful. I personally don't think. And books are much easier to buy online. They just really are. You can get them faster. And even if you want a physical book, it's delivered really quickly. Or if you need it immediately, you can get the digital version. It made so much sense to jumpstart Amazon online as a category that if you're just going to open up a bookstore that just offers books without really interesting merchandising or like little you know, bookstores do that are local, you know, something experiential, it doesn't make sense to have that bookstore in the first place. So I think it's an, and, and you see the data, you probably know this, the independent bookstores are doing pretty well, but they're not like Amazon bookstores. They're bookstores that do know how to merchandise and create experience. So. The thing is, people love their local indie bookstores, and they have to because those stores generally don't, you know, they don't with the 20% off that Amazon does. So the other problem with the bookstores that I didn't really get into in my story was you, you couldn't get the real discount unless you were a Prime member. And that happens in Whole Foods too. You get these added discounts. And that seems to be uh, an odd, it's an odd it's an odd merchandising payment pricing situation for a bookstore, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously trying to build their loyalty model, which is the core of their business, and Prime is the flywheel of Amazon, but not necessarily a consumer point of view. So that, that makes sense to me. I think it's pretty interesting. Let me, let me just reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Marketing Matters, and today I'm joined by Daphne Howland, who's the senior reporter for Retail Dive. And if you would like to ask me or Daphne a question about 
any of the stories we're talking about, and particularly about the retailing stories that we're going to talk about. But any question you have throughout today's show, feel free to call in at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So I think it is interesting about Amazon. You know, I when I think about Jeff Bezos, I, I think he's a genius, and I think Amazon has done a lot of things right. But I don't think he likes shopping. You know, I don't think that he understands experiential shopping. And so those stores that really didn't make any sense to any veteran retailer, it's not surprising me that they're closing down. On the other hand, the grocery stores or the convenience stores, the Amazon Go stores, where they really are omni-channel, and they're the, the most important thing typically is convenience and efficiency and opening up a store where you can shop really quickly and get what you want or they have really integrated omni-channel from their online to their offline. That makes a whole lot of sense to me and those stores to prioritize I think makes sense. Do you agree with that? I think it totally makes sense. It's also the kind of merchandising that, that probably benefits a lot from the kind of data-driven preference-driven stuff that was such a, you know, flop at the four-star stores. <laughs> what will be interesting is what will happen with the apparel store. Because right. on the one hand, Amazon is done with this other non-food merchandising, and then they're going to try again, essentially, with apparel, which to me is even more complicated than books or general merchandise. And, you know... Yeah, right. It's not more complicated necessarily than food, especially because those margins are so tight, but they're doing a lot of learning on food. It, but it's clearly more complicated than the other. A, you know, apparel's got like a, an inventory problem because you got sizes and styles, as we learned with Old Navy's big mess last, you know, last couple of weeks. You know, it's pretty hard to get that all right. The, uh, my, I, when I read that in your story that, you know, and you, you made that point that these were the stories, these are the stories that kind of don't make sense. And outside of grocery, the only one they're thinking is this Amazon style store. And you, I think you questioned in your article just what you're saying now, whether or not this makes sense. And I was thinking the thing about apparel, unlike books and these other things, is there still is a need to touch and feel that product and to try it on. Some people are really good at buying clothes online. I can just tell you personally, I have never bought something online that I liked. It just, it really, I must have a weird body or something. I really need to see it on me. And so there's a real need in my mind for a physical store when it comes to apparel, even if it's difficult. And that's what I'm thinking Amazon might be thinking about. Does, do you agree with that? I think that all that is true, the reason to go shopping at a store for apparel is usually touch, feel, fit. Um, I have a thing about flow and texture, and I, I, want, I want to know what the fabric is really like. All those things come into it for a lot of people. It's the other end, the buying end. What are you putting in that store, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I don't know enough about, you know, Amazon's doing something right in apparel because they're they're selling billions of dollars worth of clothes every year. So um, it's not like they don't sell apparel now, but they sell it online, which is just different. Yeah. Maybe they're using it to build partnerships with, you know, like they still don't have the big brands. They don't have luxury. Maybe if they can put together a physical store and partner with some of those brands to do something and feature them. And, you know, because like their partnership with Kohl's at one point kind of wasn't too bad, you know, where they worked together to be 
And maybe the, what they're doing with Whole Foods makes sense. You know, maybe they have something in mind there. But, yeah, it's really interesting to take a look at all of that and see how that's going to end up. So let's look at some of the other stories that you talked about. I know that you had a story, I think you just wrote it yesterday, on Macy's. You want to tell us a little bit about what's happening with Macy's? That's always an interesting one to pay attention to. So Macy's um, last week said that they were going to speed up the development of their a fleet of smaller stores in strip centers. And most of us are used to seeing Macy's in a couple cities downtown, New York and San Francisco, but mostly in our local mall. There's probably a Macy's in most cities in America. Um, and they want to get away from that and diversify into trip centers is what we call it lifestyle shopping centers open air they're more convenient the stores are much smaller um and they're going to fill the stores with things that the data has told them that local community is interested in so in a way it's a data play it's hyper local merchandising um, but it's a big question mark. And are they also the doing um, their, their backstage stores in those too? Is there, is there going to... And backstage, which is their off-price. Um, they've been putting a lot of off-price sections into their stores. Um, and so now they're basically doing standalone stores, more of those too, yeah. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So go back, and I know you've been following. We talked about this before we started, but Macy's numbers haven't been so bad since you know we've been in the post-COVID kind of era, right? They've been they've been posting decent numbers, haven't they? Macy's has been doing well as people return to stores and want and you know they needed new clothes. People sat around for two years in comfy sweats and all that stuff. It wasn't just that they were sick of that. It was also that they had somewhere to go. I mean, they they were eating out and they were, the weddings that got canceled were happening and they had to go to the office in some cases. So, so people needed new clothes and people needed the clothes that you can find at a place like Macy's and they were benefiting from that for sure. I think probably their issue, because this idea of doing smaller stores, they came up with this well before the pandemic right. and announced it before the pandemic. So this is more an idea to diversify their geography and their customer base. And I think get away from the mall, which is really no longer the great American retail model that it once was. Yeah, and these malls are taking on new identity here in Philadelphia, they've announced one of our, we only have one mall downtown up to speak of. It's more of a price, a low price kind of mall, but still it's our mall. And the baseball, not the baseball, the basketball team is going to go into that mall. So, uh, which I actually think makes sense because you can still have restaurants and bars around a, a basketball studio and you can have some stores and things like that. So it might, but for sure, the definition of a mall is changing. Um, we see more WeWorks in the mall. You see more life style malls, people living around the mall, so that changes the mix of the store. And the old model of the department store, which we know was the old model, where the department store was the anchor of the mall and drew people into the mall, that's been dead for a while. I mean, it's just that's just not the way people are shopping. It doesn't make sense. So Macy's, like you said, had to rethink this model a long time ago. 
Um, and the question is, are they getting it right? I remember speaking about pre-COVID, like Macy's actually had a data play a long time ago. They were, you know, they did these programs that they used to call My Macy's, where they were trying to customize the inventory in stores based on the customer data they had way before COVID and everybody else was doing that. But then they kind of lost their way. And I know you, you cited a few people in your article where they were saying they think Macy's merchandising and strategy is like a mismatch in the in the store, like some of the people you spoke to weren't too impressed with what Macy's was doing. I think part of that is um, trouble staffing. Those are huge stores and they have a lot of them, you know, almost 500 stores across the country. Um, the other thing is one woman I spoke to for that story talked a lot about what it takes to bring a buyer's vision onto the store floor and that Macy's in a lot of their stores just don't have the staff and don't mm. what staff they have don't seem to have the training that no one's really connecting to the storytelling to you know that the buyer had in mind for the luggage they're selling or their apparel they're selling it's just sort of stacked up there and you know in some areas I think the Macy's is is kind of literally messy so yeah I mean yeah they're they're I mean they're subject to all of these it's a difficult business to do business in right now you've got employee shortages the great resignation and all of that supply chain channels I mean conflicts and and um, challenges and and then you got to try to merchandise creatively. You got to predict fashion, which gets us. I know we only have a few minutes left, but it gets us to the last story of yours I wanted to talk about, which was the Walmart story. And I know you wrote a recent article about it, but this has been an ongoing story for a while. You know, Walmart and Target showing lower profitability numbers. I think their revenues are going up, but their profits are going down. They have more costs. They haven't been able to respond as quickly to changes in tastes and things like that. I think what your story on Walmart recently was talking about the pressures of inflation forcing more markdowns which is a so like I mean and these are are well-tuned stores Walmart and Target are very well-tuned you know and so but they're facing some of those challenges that I'm sure Macy has to be facing also so you have any comments on the Walmart story I mean Walmart's saving grace is that it's the largest grocer in America so all that money that people are having they're having have to pay more for dinner and buying milk that's going to walmart it's just <laughs> not going to walmart apparel right and the apparel is where you know there's a lot more profit in apparel than there is in milk and bread so um on the one hand walmart is benefiting from the fact that people are spending more money on that side of the store but the not on the stuff that makes them more money so yeah, so they're showing lower profitability, higher revenue. I'm not too worried about Walmart and Target. They're going to have ups and downs, but they're pretty smart retailers, and I think they're in the right place at the right time, and they really responded quickly to COVID and did all those things, so I think they're going to be okay even though you know, sometimes there's ups and downs. Well, Daphne, as usual, it's wonderful talking to you. There's always something exciting going on in retail. Thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and all the stories that you're writing? Uh, you can find us at retaildive.com. Um, and, you know, we write stories, new stories every day, lots of great features. 
Yep. Very interesting. If you're interested in this retailing industry, you got to get uh, get on to Retail Dive. is a great, great uh, place to get the newest information. We're going.